Last night, we began by talking about the hardships of being a believer, of actually standing as a disciple in our day. Last night, I pointed out that public opinion is set against us, the culture is fixed against us, and we are moving and living in actual opposition to the world. We understand as Christians, we are moving in the opposite direction as the rest of the world. That is true. Those things are true. However, as hard as those things are, there is an even greater difficulty. There is an even greater battle, and that is the real battle against Satan and his forces of evil. Ephesians chapter 6, verse 12 says, For our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, the powers, against the world forces of this darkness, against the spiritual forces of wickedness in the heavenly places. 1 Peter 5, 8 says that our adversary, the devil, is prowling around like a roaring lion seeking for someone to devour. Friends, we have an enemy, the devil, and he and his forces are set on our destruction on our ruin. I think today we have so sanitized our belief set in modern practice that maybe we've put that truth away. And it's uncomfortable to think about that. It sounds really pretty crazy to talk about our enemy, Satan, our enemy, the devil. For sure, it does not sound intellectual. And so today in our modern practice, we say, yes. Satan is the enemy. Yes, Satan is real, but we'll not talk or think too much about that. Well, tonight in our verses, we will be reminded of the spiritual battle that rages, uh, the spiritual battle that Jesus waged and won, and in the process, we'll see our enemy as believers today as well. Today, our message is entitled, Betrayed, Betrayed. We're in John chapter 13, tonight verses 21 through 30. John chapter 13, tonight verses 21 through 30. Betrayed. I'm going to ask if you would, if you'd stand with me in the honor and the reverence of the reading of God's Word. Beginning of verse 21, God's Word says this. When Jesus had said this, he became troubled in spirit and testified and said, Truly, truly, I say to you, that one of you will betray me. The disciples began looking at one another at a loss to know of which one he was speaking. There was reclining on Jesus' bosom one of his disciples whom Jesus loved. So Simon Peter gestured to him and said to him, tell us of who it is of whom he is speaking. He leaning back thus on Jesus' bosom said to him, Lord, who is it? Jesus then answered, that is the one for whom I shall dip the morsel and give it to him. So when he had dipped the morsel, he took and gave it to Judas, the son of Simon Iscariot. After the morsel, Satan then entered into him. Therefore, Jesus said to him, what you do, do quickly. Now, no one of those reclining at the table knew for what purpose he had said this to him. For some were supposing that Judas had the money box that Jesus was saying to him, buy the things that we have need of for the feast, or else that he should give something to the poor. So after receiving the morsel, he went out immediately, 
and it was night. Let's go to the Lord in prayer. Dear Father, we come tonight. We're thankful for tonight. We're thankful for this 60th night. We're thankful for how you've blessed us for 60 nights, how you've led us, how you've spoken to us through your word. Lord, I pray that tonight will be no different. I pray that tonight will be a marvelous night. I pray, Lord, that it will be a tremendous night this Tuesday night. Lord, I pray that you would speak, and I pray that we would hear as your people. I, I pray we would be instructed. And I truly pray, Lord, knowing that you intend this to be a supernatural event. Lord, I pray that it is. I pray that in this event you are known, that your truth goes out, that your gospel is proclaimed. And I pray the fruit of that is that believers would draw closer to you tonight. And I pray that if there's some and maybe many that do not know you, I pray that tonight in the hearing of the gospel that they would turn to you and trust you in salvation. Lord, we give you this night. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. You may be seated. In our preceding verses, Jesus, inching ever closer to the cross of Calvary, is using his fleeting time to train his disciples. Now, we've talked about the importance of that. He uses this time as it runs down to prepare to train his disciples. He has recently just explained his washing of their feet as just such a time of preparation. And that's what it was about. The, the point to it was that their Christian service could only be done in humility and love. And that's what it was about. It wasn't about washing their feet. It was about training them that their service to Christ could only be done in humility and love. Listen, there's no other way to serve Christ. Today, in this day, we serve Christ only in real humility and in true love. I, I watch today, and it seems like the day that we're living in, the impact of the modern church is waning. And there's, there's big churches and there's great churches and there's folks that talk all about church, but it, it seems the actual impact of the church today is waning. And I wonder as I watch those churches where the real power is. And then I see how many people today professing Christ are concerned with their pride. They're concerned with self-promotion. They're concerned with their, their self-service, not excluding those leading the church. In fact, I would say tonight, especially those leading the church, it's all about them. It's all about them being known. There's self-promotion, and therefore the church is powerless. True service to the cause of Christ will only happen in real humility and in true love. Remember that. That's the only way it can happen. All right, tonight let's start our verses again, starting back in verse 21 tonight. When Jesus had said this, he became troubled in spirit and testified and said, Truly, truly, I say to you that one of you will betray me. Now, understand in verse 21, being God, Jesus knew in advance that Judas would betray him. He's told us that. But also understand, being man, he was deeply disturbed 
as the event unfolded. And that seems kind of odd to us. He knew it was coming as God, but being a human, being a man, he was disturbed as the event unfolded. The Greek word for troubled here, we saw it in chapter 12. It means aggressively shaken. It's no, it's no light thing. It's no small thing. It is to be aggressively shaken. It means that Jesus is in turmoil. Jesus is greatly, terribly upset. He says, truly, truly, here is the truth. One of you will betray me. One of you will betray me. The Greek word, the original language for betray means to hand over. It means to abandon. It means to deliver over. It is malicious in expression. Now imagine this. He has chosen all of the disciples. He had trained all of the disciples. He had spent years, just over three years, eating with them and traveling with them, spending an inordinate amount of time with all of the disciples. On this event, he has had supper with them. He's washed the feet of all of the disciples. And now he says, and one of you will betray me. That's an unbelievable statement. That's an unthinkable statement. Not, not one of the Jewish leaders. They're not going to betray him. Not one of his enemies. One of you will betray me. If he knew that that was going to happen, why was he so shaken? We read that. He says that in the preceding verses. He knows that it's going to happen. If he knew it was going to happen, why is he so shaken? Well, understand, for Judas, it means that he has missed the love of Jesus. Jesus loves him. He so loves him, and he has missed it. He has turned away from that love. Now, I want to ask a question. I wonder why we think rejection or betrayal is easier for Jesus than for us. And isn't that what we think? Well, he's Jesus. He's, he's betrayed. He's, he's rejected. But that's, that's normal for him. Why do we think rejection is easier for Jesus? It, it hurts him. It crushes him. And that's part of the reason he is shaking. The one that he loves, the one that he would die for, Judas, turns and abandons him, abandons him. The other part of the reason is this. The cross is now right before him. And the dominoes have started to fall, and the cross now is just hours ahead. And so, yes, he's upset over Judas. Yes, he's upset over the love that's been rejected. But now as this event unfolds, he knows the dominoes are falling and the cross is just hours ahead. You ever dread something? Something's coming and I don't, I don't know what it is, but it's terrible and you know it's coming. You have warning of it and you dread it. You can't sleep. I'll, I'll try and sleep, but you wake up and every 20, 30 minutes you wake up and, you, and your stomach turns and you feel nauseous. It's coming and you, and you dread that event. Can you imagine the cross is hours ahead? Verse 22, 
the disciples began looking at one another at a loss to know of which one he was speaking. Now, this is pretty wild here in verse 22. Think about how confused they must be. They have heard Jesus talk about his death. Uh, they're not real certain what that means, but they've heard him talk about his death. He has washed their feet. It's a very radical act, and they're still thinking about that. But now he says, but one of you will betray me. They're blown away by that statement. It, it caught them so off guard, they can't even imagine who it might be. They never fathomed such a thing. In the Gospel of Mark, it says they even start saying, surely it's not I. Surely it's not I. Judas has carried himself in such a way. He has looked so much like them. He has acted so much like a disciple. They didn't even guess it was him. They didn't even suspect that it was him. I want you to see this tonight. I want you to be warned of this. It is possible, and I'm going to go ahead and change it to likely, it is likely for the enemies of Jesus to hide smack in the midst of the people of Jesus. We need to be aware of that. We need to be warned of that. It is likely for the enemies of Jesus to hide smack in the midst of the people of Jesus. That is where they can wreak the most havoc. That is where they can cause the most damage. And sadly, it's the same in the church today. We need to be warned. Many times the enemies of Christ are posing right in the middle of the people of Christ. Verse 22, they can't imagine who it might be. Verse 23. There was reclining on Jesus' bosom one of his disciples whom Jesus loved. Now, this is referring to John. Uh, if you notice, he never names himself in his gospel. He never does that. But this is referring to John, to himself, the author, in verse 23. There was reclining on Jesus' bosom one of his disciples whom Jesus loved, verse 24. So Simon Peter gestured to him and said to him, tell us of whom he is speaking. Now, in verse 24, Peter wants to know, who is it? He doesn't ask Jesus, he asks John. Evidently, he assumes that John would know. Surely, if anybody would know, John would know. And so he makes this signal and he says, John, who is it? Now, my guess is, knowing Peter... He had something for this person. He was carrying a sword on that night. And so I believe that's, that's why I asked, who is it? If he's in our midst, who is it, John? Verse 25, he, leaning back thus on Jesus' bosom, said to him, Lord, who is it? John doesn't know. He doesn't know who it is. And so he looks back at Jesus and says, Lord, who is it? Wouldn't you know who it was? Don't, don't you think, we sit here tonight and say, don't you think you would know? If you'd watched somebody for all these years, don't you think you would know who it was? The Bible says only God knows a man's heart. So you can act one way so much that they're all convinced, but only God knows what's in a man's heart. Now remember in the preceding verses from last night, Jesus said that he would tell them in advance so they would know that they would be confident in who he is. Now, he says, I'll tell you in advance, so you know I didn't make a mistake. I'll tell you in advance, so you can have confidence in following me. Verse 26, Jesus then answered, 
That is the one for whom I shall dip the morsel and give it to him. So when he had dipped the morsel, he took it and gave it to Judas, the son of Simon Iscariot. Jesus says, it's the one that I take the bread and I dip it and then I hand it to that person. I want you to think about this. I want you to imagine this. Everybody is surely watching. They are blown away by this news. They, they can't really understand that somebody, one of them, would betray Jesus. Surely not, but they've heard Jesus say that. And so they're all watching. Imagine how quiet it must be. Jesus reaches and he takes the bread. And he picks it up and he, and he breaks off a piece. He, he tears off a piece. Can you imagine it? And he dips it. And maybe they all start to lean back. Maybe they all start to lean away. And maybe at this point they can't even breathe. It's silent. This is the one that will betray Jesus. He dips it. He raises his arm. And he gives it to Judas, the son of Simon Iscariot. Tradition says it was a, a large table, enough at least for 12. Tradition says... In that day, there would have been several dipping bowls spread across the table. And so the fact that Jesus could dip in this bowl and hand it to Judas means most likely that he was on one side or the other of Jesus. Listen to this. Meaning, get this, he was seated right next to Jesus. Not somewhere at the other end of the table, not far from, some, from Jesus at the other end where he might hide behind somebody else. He is sitting right next to Jesus. His betrayer is eating right next to him at the supper. Verse 27. After the morsel, Satan then entered into him. Therefore, Jesus said to him, what you do, do quickly. For the second time here in verse 27, Satan himself enters into Judas. Now, the first time is when he made this fateful deal. Now it's at this supper. Judas, empty of faith, is now the vessel of Satan. Judas, full of evil, is the instrument now of the evil one. And Jesus says to him, what you do, do quickly. It literally translates, do it more quickly. Jesus looks at him and he says, do it more quickly. Jesus says, if this is how it's going to be, then move quickly. Whatever you're going to do, be faster than that. Now I want to pause right here for a second. And I want to think about Satan for just a second. Here he is at the Last Supper. Here he is at the Lord's Supper. Here he is and he's strategic in his movement. Understand, these are critical hours for his cause. He knows what's going on. These are critical hours for his cause. His name, Satan, in Hebrew means adversary. His name, devil, in the Greek is the same, adversary. He is set in opposition to God. He exists as the adversary in opposition to God. Where God is perfectly good, he is evil. Where God is light, he is darkness. In scripture, he is called the evil one. 
meaning he is full of evil. He is called in Scripture the enemy. He seeks the defeat of God. He seeks the, seeks the defeat of God's people. He is called in Scripture the ruler of demons. He's also called the ruler of this world. He is called in Scripture a liar. In fact, he is called the father of all lies. All lies originate with him. That is his character. There's no truth in him. It is all lies. Zechariah chapter 3, it says, he is the slanderer of God. Can you imagine that? He is the accuser of God himself. We see in the Bible, he's also called the accuser of the brethren. He keeps our guilt before us. He adds to our shame. In the scriptures, it says he is a murderer. He kills, and his goal and the product of his, of his movement is death. In the scripture, it says he is the deceiver, a master at fooling and deceiving. In the scripture, it says he is the tempter. Listen to this. His goal is to lead people to sin. His goal is to leave you in sin, buried in sin. That is his goal, to take you closer to sin. Put all of that together. His goal is to slander and defeat God. His goal is to tempt and to lure and to kill and to ruin all people and Judas on this night. His goal is to foil the plan of God and he will lie and he'll kill and he'll cheat and he'll destroy and do anything to accomplish it. Pure evil, boiling hate. And he moves into Judas. Can you imagine what that must be like? Can you imagine the, the, the hatred? He moves into Judas. Jesus says, what you do, do it more quickly. Do it. Verse 28. Now, no one of those reclining at the table knew for what purpose he had said this to him. They don't know why Jesus has said this to him. Doesn't make any sense. They don't understand why Jesus has said this to him. Verse 29. For some were supposing, because Judas had the money box, that Jesus was saying to him, buy the things that we have need of for the feast, or else that he should give something to the poor. You ever notice this? I've noticed this. You ever notice good people can't even conceive of some of the wicked things people do? They don't think that way. That's not their thought pattern. It doesn't even enter their head. Sometimes you'll hear something so vile and so evil and somebody else will say, I didn't even imagine that that existed. The disciples think, well, he's going to buy some things for the feast. That's what he told them to do. They think, well, he's going to send them to help the poor. That's what he told them to do. We've talked about Satan. I want to pause right here. And I want us to think about Jesus for a second. I want us to stop right here, and I want us to think about Jesus for a second. Jesus has told them, he has instructed them to serve like him will require real humility and true love. Now, that's the example he set in the foot washing, but he has told them, if you're going to serve me in my example, you're going to do it in real humility and true love. Well, if you remember from that sermon, the danger of true love is rejection. Well, I want you to notice this. Jesus for these years, that's a long time. Jesus for these months, 
Jesus, for this supper, has treated Judas in such a way that no one would ever guess he's the betrayer. You know what that means? It means that when they interacted, Jesus was just as interested in him. He listened to his stories. He, he heard what he had to say. It means that Jesus, as he dealt with him, was just as kind to him. He wasn't cold to him. He didn't shut him out. He was just as kind to him. It means that Jesus treated him in real humility and true love, so much so that no one could even fathom that he was set against Jesus. You want to know why I believe that is? I believe, here's what I, here's what I see as I watch Christ. Here's what I believe. I believe he was hoping that he would see and I think that's the nature of Jesus. I think that's who he is. I think that's his character. And I, I think he's hoping at the start, oh, I hope that he will see. I hope that he'll see how much he's loved. I hope that his eyes would open. Oh, that maybe this event, maybe this teaching, maybe this miracle, maybe he will see. Oh, if he could just see. And I think as they move closer, he keeps hoping, oh, if he would just see. I think even this last morsel as he took it, he wanted him just to see, oh, Judas, if you just see as you take it from my hand, you're so loved. Now, Jesus knew that he would not, and yet he loved anyway. Remember that? True love does it anyway. He does it anyway. Verse 30. So after receiving the morsel, he went out immediately. And it was night. Satan's fooled pawn slips away quickly into the darkness. He is gone. And it is night. Let's pray. Dear Heavenly Father, we come tonight again. We're thankful for you. We're thankful for our salvation that we, we see as the pieces unfold. We know this event leads to the cross. We know the cross leads to our forgiveness and your love shown to us in grace. Lord, I'm thankful for this event tonight. I'm thankful that we see you're not a hypocrite. You're not a fraud. You're not a liar, but you tell us to operate in humility. You do as well. You tell us to operate in true love. We see it in you as well. Lord, I'm thankful for these verses where we catch a glimpse of your grace and your kindness and your love. Lord, I pray that you have spoken to us tonight. Pray that you've impacted our hearts tonight in your word. I pray, Lord, if there's somebody that's, that's listening or, or, or here in person tonight that doesn't know you, I pray in seeing that Savior, seeing our Savior, and seeing you that tonight they might turn to you and be saved. Lord, we, we thank you tonight. We praise you tonight. We worship you tonight. We ask that you move in this time of invitation. We give it to you. We submit it to you tonight. And I pray in Jesus' name, amen. The truth is over and over and over again, God so loves you. God so loves you. I, I want to I offer you two responses to that. First is this, receive it. Receive it. If you're here and you've never trusted Christ, Turn to him today. Receive him today. If you're listening tonight and you've never received Jesus Christ, if you've never trusted him for your salvation, turn to him tonight. He will save you. He so loves you. 
He paid for your redemption, paid for it in his own blood. He offers you salvation in his grace, secured in his power. First off, response tonight is this. God so loves you, receive it. Second response is this, and it's for believers. God so loves you, and so now walk in it. Walk in it. Let it shape how you talk. Let it shape how you think. Let it shape your heart, your attitude. Let it shape how you serve. Let it shape how you see him. God so loves you. Walk in it. We're going to close our service the time of invitation. If you're here and you've, you've never trusted Jesus Christ, or if you'd like to trust him in this moment, he is gracious to you. He's gracious to all of us. He's gracious to sinners. If you'll turn to him tonight, he'll save you. If you're here and you've never made that decision, I want to plead with you. I want to encourage you. Settle it tonight. Settle it tonight. Turn to Jesus. He will save you. If you're here and you've made that decision, but you've never followed in believer's baptism, I want to give you an opportunity as well to, to come and let that testimony stand in your life in obedience to Jesus. You come as well, and we'll set a date. It'll be a great day of celebration. Maybe you're looking for a church home, and you've prayed about it. You believe God has led you here. You come as well, and together we'll serve for his glory. Maybe tonight on this Tuesday night, you want to come pray at an altar. Maybe you want to come pray with me. I'm going to ask that no one would move about or stir about you pray for those that are making decisions. If God has spoken to you as we stand and sing, you step out. You come on. I'll meet you here.